When I grow up, I want to work for a woke company. Like super woke. When I grow up, when I grow up, I want to be hired based on what I look like rather than my skills. I want to be judged by my political beliefs. I want to get promoted based on my chromosomes. When I grow up, I want to be offended by my coworkers and walk around the office on eggshells and have my words policed by HR. Words like grandfather, peanut gallery, long time no see, no can do. When I grow up, I want to be obsessed with emotional safety and do workplace sensitivity training all day long. When I grow up, I want to climb the corporate ladder just by following the crowd. I want to be a conformist. I want to weaponize my pronouns. What are pronouns? It's time to grow up and get back to work. Introducing the number one woke-free job board in America, redballoon.work. Hey everybody, Michael Thiessen here, and you are listening to Open Mic with Michael Thiessen. I'm so glad you continue to journey with me. Just want to make you aware that this show is produced by Liberty Coalition Canada in partnership with ChristianWeek.org. Liberty Coalition Canada exists to establish Christ's justice and righteousness and to defend those who stand. ChristianWeek.org exists to provide a practical hope hope-filled and balanced perspective on national and global issues. Head over to christianweek.org right now to get some good information on Christian headlines or headlines that affect Christians around the world. As I've said for the last month, our, our chief litigator, James Kitchen, has been busy on all of our case filings and your immediate support is essential. And uh, we really want to uh, keep going on our mission to support Christians and to inform Christians. Um, want to just take a minute right now to uh, introduce you to Rocklink Investment Partners. Uh, with inflation at 40-year highs and economic stagflation on the horizon, uh, Rocklink Investment Partners understand these investment challenges. Want you to head over to info at rocklink.com or visit them www.rocklink.com. That's link with a C. We really appreciate their partnership and uh, their trusted counsel when it comes to finances and investments. So, Rod, as I as I intro the show and welcomed you on unofficially, just want to say an official welcome, everybody. For those of you who are uh, listening and and you and you don't know who I'm talking to right now, Rod Taylor is the leader of the Christian Heritage Party. He is a resident of the province of British Columbia, and we are very thankful for all the work that you do, Rod, over at CHP. Welcome to the show. Well, thank you very much, Michael. It's a pleasure to be back with you again, and I'm excited. Although the world is in chaos and Canada is in chaos, uh, God still has good plans for us as individuals and as a nation if we will uh, walk with him and and follow his lead and, and guidance. So as I was thinking about how to intro this show, uh, Rod, I, I was thinking that we're going to talk about a topic of immigration, and we're going to, we're going to talk about the topic of immigration in the context of recent uh, pro-Hamas protests, um, sure. of um, uh, large immigration numbers of uh, in the context of some finances. And 
as I was thinking about it, I think this is the exact situation where most Christians might say to themselves, you really need experts in these areas in order to have an opinion, you know, with the complexity of an economy, with the uh, complexity of, of uh, trying to fill the workforce and, and all of these things. So I, I'm cognizant that we are weighing into deep waters, but I think this is an important conversation because I know that I know that other political parties are trying to investigate what do we say about what's going on in Canada where people are are protesting in a positive support for terrorism. Um so let's get started and and I, I want to let you jump in with some research just after I give a brief introduction. So I'm just on the 2020 annual report uh, to Parliament on Immigration. Um, I have seen here that it's been updated. Uh, it, it's talking about coming out of the COVID-19 pandemic. So, of course, that wasn't the case uh, in 2019 and 2020. What we have in a snapshot here in this report is that approximately 404,000 temporary work permits were were given for people to come into the, into Canada. Um, where 74,000 uh, individuals transitioned from temporary to permanent residence in Canada, where 341,001 uh, uh, permanent residents were admitted to Canada. Uh, this, is, uh, this is all talking about 2020 and then projections for 2021 and 2022 we're in the same numbers growing. Um, just I'm scrolling to get those numbers right here. Uh, the, the Canadian government was projecting having an immigration of um, 411,000 in 2022. And just one last thing I want to start us off with talking the predominant countries that we are immigrating from, according to this report, are uh, India. Uh, in in uh, in 2019, 25% of immigrants came from India. Uh, 9%, close to 10%, came from uh, China. And then we have the next highest at 8% is the Philippines, at, at 20, uh, 27,808 people at 8%. Um, going down to the top 10, including Nigeria, Pakistan, the United States come in, came in at 3%, uh, equal to Syria, and uh, Iran comes in at 2%. So I, I, I skipped a few there. So this is kind of the context. This is a statement. I know you have some more, more recent numbers. Why don't you add to that as we frame this discussion? Well, last year, Canada has brought in a, a, just about uh, – one and a half million, 1.4 million people. Now that's not all immigrants, special immigrants, but at uh, something like 450,000, uh, almost half a million uh, official immigrants coming in with permanent resident status. <clears throat> that's uh, a, a significant number of, um, well, about 50,000 illegal immigrants, those who just crossed the border and arrived here at our shores and have been accepted by the Canadian government, accepted and uh, sponsored and subsidized and paid for uh, instead of being turned back at the border. 
some 300 and some thousand. Uh, I, I'm, I'm going to wander on these numbers here. No, I don't have those particular numbers, but the non-permanent uh, work, work visa uh, folks and then student visas, which is um, between five and 600,000, I believe. So that the total is something like 1.4 million foreign nationals uh, came into our country in this year. And it is costing us, <clears throat> the estimate is about $40 billion a year to deal with all those levels of uh, immigration, uh, non-permanent work, uh, foreign nationals and foreign national students. The uh, the guess is on the, um, well, they, they, there's a number from, uh, I think it's the Globe and Mail, uh, something like 796,000 or, I'm sorry, $796 million spent uh, strictly on looking after illegal immigrants. Um, and we've had a, about 50,000 a year coming for the last three years. So it's a, it's a huge number. It, it must come down. I guess what, I, what I'd like to say right at the, stop, at the start before we go too much farther is our first priority as Canadians must be the safety and the best interests of, Can of Canadians and of Canada. We can't help others if we allow our economy and our culture to be destroyed. Uh, this current level of immigration and other foreign migration into Canada is unsustainable. It's contributing to inflation, the housing crisis, healthcare crisis, soaring debt and crime, and it must be curtailed. Um, the total cost, as I mentioned before, of our immigration and refugees is about $40 billion per year. And that's about $100 million per day, a little over $100 million per day. That's about the same number uh, of, our, of our interest payments on our national debt every day. And it's about the same number of, of the um, debt we are adding that, through deficit spending to our national debt every day. So it's a, it's a huge number. We can't afford it. We don't have housing for this many people. And it's a misguided, uh, I guess the, the blunt statement is it is a, a uh, policy of the liberal government for voters in training, liberal voters in training to bring in folks that they think will support their worldview. It has nothing to do with improving Canada's economy. They claim, I'm sorry, I'm going on here a little bit, but they claim it's necessary in order to fill the jobs in the workplace. And, uh, but that's partly a result of their other policies, which is to kill 100,000 uh, Canadian babies a year. So we've killed about 4 million uh, people, young preborn babies since 1980, all of whom would now have been filling those jobs in the workplace and would be Canadians raised with a Canadian culture, Canadian languages, and Canadian values, and who would now be doctors, lawyers, uh, nurses, and healthcare professionals, and construction workers. Uh, we, we are bringing in the, the level of uh, uh, immigrants involved in the construction industry is about 3%. In, in other words, helping to build the housing that we need for our population. Uh, in the current housing crisis we have, affordability and availability, about 3% of those immigrants are helping to build houses, whereas about 8% of Canadians altogether are, are involved in the construction industry. So, so we're diluting 
uh, we're adding to the to the problem of housing affordability, and we're diluting uh, the availability of even construction workers, let alone uh, doctors and uh, nurses, and so on. So that's kind of an overview of of the uh, of our concerns. Uh, so, uh, and, and what you mentioned at the beginning, uh, the protests, uh, radical, violent, uh, vehement protests uh, that are taking place at Can Canadian universities and Canadian streets against the Jewish people, and particularly against Israel, uh, that is unacceptable. Um, we we uh, have a policy uh, in a country here, theoretically, of of freedom to protest peacefully. Uh, that policy did not hold up with the, with the truckers' peaceful convoy, but now we are allowing uh, people to stand there and chant death to the Jews, death to Israel, etc. And some of these people um, are in our country as guests, and uh, if they're going to continue to uh, exercise their feelings in that way, uh, they should no longer be guests in Canada. They should be asked to leave, told to leave. So that's a kind of a broad view there, Michael. So. No, it's, it's a good start, Rod. I, I think, um, I think I, I think I want to handle the elephant in the room in the sense that, um, I want to talk just briefly about the fact that, you know, Im immigration in and of itself is not a problematic issue. I, I, I've immigrated to and from the United States a number of times. My wife and I immigrated and then uh, to to, um, to um, uh, Africa to be missionaries, and then we returned to Canada. Um, we have an adoptive daughter who is a, a Chinese immigrant to Canada. Uh, immigration is something where we're we are the the world is smaller. Travel is realistic. People see. Uh, that certain countries are more desirable to live in than the country that they live in. And um, they apply to, to, to move and, and, to, and, and to enter other countries and live there permanently. So the, the concept of immigration uh, in and of itself is um, fairly normal. And we, we see the, we see biblical examples of, of immigration uh, all the time, even, even, uh, we're, you know, we're in the Christmas season and we just celebrated Christ's birth and J Jesus went to and from Egypt as a young, as a young child to fulfill prophecy. So, um, immigration in and of itself, isn't the issue. It seems to be that there seems to be competing interest in it, or there, there seems to be a complete, a, a competing competing premises under certain immigration policy versus other immigration policy. So for example, um, in talking with uh, Robert Spencer in the United States, uh, Western immigration policy used to defer to Western countries with the expectation that an individual immigrating there would have a background of, 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 of that worldview. Would we have a basic understanding of rule of law basic understanding of government would um, likely share a, some type of Judeo-Christian worldview. Those policies have all changed since the 60s and 70s. And before we kind of just get into the numbers and the costs, 
is is that what we're seeing right now? We're, are we seeing a shift in those policy sh- changes so that the individuals who are immigrating to Canada are not expected or required to um, assimilate into the Canadian legal system and have and have an understanding of the basic philosophical foundations of Canada. Now, I can answer that question myself, Rod, in the sense that you just look at this at this web at this website, and it is clear that the liberal approach to immigration is one of uh, critical race theory or or critical theory. So everything is about bringing the most um, the, the, the most oppressed or, um, most viewed to be oppressed individuals, and then immediately treating them like victims when they're here. Uh, there's 10 different programs on this website. And if you go through, uh, each one of them, it creates a class conflict, uh, uh, like it creates an observation of a disparity and, and problems, and then seeks to have funding and seeks to have uh, programs to then overcome what the government sees as a disparity. And so um, you see a lot of, uh, on on this website, you see a lot of LGBT favoritism. You see um, a lot of critical theory. And so what you have is you have a philosophy driving immigration, which immediately pits new immigrants against a Western free market uh, rule of law culture and then coddles them and tells them, hey, we're going to create more and more programs so that you don't have to quote unquote make it. Um, and then at the same time, we've we've walked away from this vetting based upon shared worldviews. Rod, how does the Christian Heritage Party try to tackle some of these huge questions when, um, when we're trying to respect people's liberty and at the same time protect the country and protect the culture from just going into chaos? Well, as you know, Michael, very well, uh, the, uh, our foundation you know, specified, laid out in the Charter, uh, is Canada's founded on principles that recognize the supremacy of God and the rule of law, and and of course has been pointed out many times, that is the Judeo-Christian God. Our founders, those who wrote the charter, Brian Peckford testifies to this, basically had a Christian worldview. And so when they said the supremacy of God, they were referring to the Judeo-Christian God, not some other uh, God or religious kind of approach to life. And the rule of law that comes out of that has produced our freedom and our prosperity in this country, which we are quickly losing as we have abandoned uh, those principles. And and even, you know, the prime minister has said different times, our current prime minister, that, uh, you know, he rejects the uh, Judeo-Christian uh, European uh, concept. I mean, many of our immigrants that came in the 50s and, and prior to that as well came from a European, basically a Christian-based uh, culture, uh, a Christ-centered culture. Uh, and and now the uh, the effort seems to be to bring in every other kind of uh, worldview other than a Christian worldview. Um, Prime Minister was answered, like in some countries in the world, if you're worried about refugees, 
Christians and Jews are the ones whose lives are at risk, right? And 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 we see that played out with you know people being stoned for blasphemy in some foreign countries for professing faith in Christ. And it seems to me those are the people that we should, if we're going to uh, express this for refugees as a concern and compassion. We should be letting those in, and I'll just throw in again, I think with abortion, uh, we are not letting in 100,000 people a year who want to, you know, uh, these pre-born babies who want to become citizens in Canada, and we uh, allow them to be rejected, uh, and and they would be great citizens if we would allow them to be born. Um, so we're, we're trying to fill a need here in terms of economics, but if we destroy our culture, if we just destroy the Christian worldview that is the basis of our freedom and prosperity, we will have nothing to offer immigrants. And by the way, I have to say, I am an immigrant myself from the United States. My family, my parents uh, brought us up here in the 60s. Uh, and so we're happy to be now Canadian citizens. And uh, yes, uh, certainly the concept of immigration in and of itself, uh, we're not objecting to that. But our purpose, when we moved up, my dad had to prove that he had something of value to offer Canada, like his uh, skills, his, his work skills, and uh, that he was able to look after himself financially. And so uh, when we ask, invite people into our country, uh, they should be people that have something to offer us if we're looking after refugees that's a different story but we even there we have to take in into account how much are we able to do uh without undermining our our country there is something called a um, immigration and refugee board and every uh, person who comes as a refugee is supposed to be able to prove that they are a legitimate refugee, that the country they come from, their life would be at risk if they were to remain there and so on. But most of them, you know, we also have a safe third party agreement with the United States. If they're in the United States, they're not in imminent danger of, of being uh, killed for, you know, for whatever reason that they might be claiming. And uh, they're supposed to claim refugee status in the first country they arrive at. So if they walk across the border from the United States and claim refugee status, uh, not one of those is a legitimate uh, refugee claim in, in our country because they're already in a safe country. So, uh, but yeah, the undermining of our Judeo-Christian faith in the culture, in our education system, in our universities, as we see very clearly today, universities that are promoting a uh, an anti-Semitic uh, sentiment and allowing uh, very you know violent expressions against the Jewish people, which we said back after World War II, never again, never again. Well, it's happening again, and it's happening in Canada. In World War II, Canada was uh, sending men and women, mostly men, to die for the freedom uh, and for the to protect the lives of Jewish people and and to protect freedom of citizens of the world, and uh, now we're allowing expressions that we rejected in World War II. We're allowing that to be expressed openly on streets of Canada and in our universities, and that's uh, that's wrong. It's it's a, a societal suicide to allow that, um, and we need to change our policies. 
So I'm kind of writing notes, Rod, and, and I, I just kind of want to ask some a follow up question. And I'm, I'm again, I know that we're really way up here as far as just big ideas. And I think as I'm looking at the website, I'm looking at the Canadian strategy. I, I think they might say, "Man, you you've got a lot of problems that you just haven't thought about how to solve. You got to get down into the weeds." So let's talk about the economy. So, um. Has your party thought about if we were to slow down immigration, what are the economic – is there economic fallout? Is it good for the economy? I think that outside of the pro-life comment, which is well-received, whereby we're killing our own offspring and then needing to go look for immigrants and we need to change that policy. Okay, that's that's good. That's That's putting us 25 years out – to start increasing the workforce, but it needs to be done for sure. I still think people are saying we need immigrants for the economy. Are they, are they, is that an accurate statement or like, like how, how is, what's the difference between cost and program and production? And as the Christian heritage party, have you been thinking through that as you, as you think of policies for the upcoming federal election? Well, um, for the most part, I think that we have enough uh, Canadians to fill the jobs. Uh, we have a lot of young people, and, and we saw this during the COVID lockdowns and so on, where where the government was basically uh, shutting down businesses. So if the government, you know, if we're really concerned about businesses, um, you know, then we should be uh, not doing things like that, shutting down existing businesses. So many of those businesses are trying to recover now, the ones who didn't completely, uh, you know, go out, go out of business, you know, during the COVID lockdowns. But uh, I've noticed that, yeah, yes, people are looking for workers in many places, but we have uh, all these folks, I, I guess some of these uh, uh, foreign students and so on that are, are, taking jobs, uh, occasionally part-time jobs and so on. Um, I, I just can't believe that there aren't enough Canadians. We're paying people often, you know, with our unemployment system, our, you know, uh, employment insurance, unemployment insurance. A lot of people take advantage of that and they get work so many weeks and then they're, uh, they're off for the rest of the year and, you know, until their EI runs out. Um, so we're, we're allowing, uh, some Canadians, to not fill the jobs that they could and should be filling. And, and I think we have to uh, get more realistic. We can't be subsidizing. I, I happen to know of a First Nations young man who had a, a good job, an entry-level job at a, one of the large box stores, and uh, he lost that job and was replaced by a foreign worker who apparently uh, was receiving some subsidy you know the the company is receiving some subsidy for uh, their work well every you know a government subsidy we're not into that in any stretch of the imagination uh, so corporate welfare basically paying companies uh, you know offsetting their costs so that they can do business that's also costing canadian taxpayers um, we should not be paying subsidizing wages for anybody um, the government should be allowing businesses to be businesses. And of course, they've imposed, and this gets into a whole other areas of economics, but they've imposed, you know, minimum wages 
And then these companies say, well, we can't afford to pay the minimum wage, so the government's going to make up the difference. Well, that just means Canadians are paying more taxes. Um, I, I believe that we have enough Canadians to fill the jobs that need to be filled, and uh, there will be a readjustment uh, as, you know, going forward. Yeah, businesses, uh, they'll have to pay what they need to pay. If they, if they have a, a viable business model and they're not paying enough, uh, to secure a workforce, then they'll need to pay more. That's just the way it is. But uh, I'm not into the government, uh, you know, regulating every aspect of uh, of business. I, you know, I I don't know all the numbers exactly. People who uh, businesses that can't find employees, but that seems like that all changed drastically during the COVID lockdowns. And I'm not sure. I don't think uh, the Canadian public or Canadian businesses have found their way back to ground zero yet uh, in terms of how to uh, keep a workforce happily employed. Yeah, you make a good point there, Rod, where we'd in investigating this, it, you would want to look at the hard numbers of Canadians who are being subsidized not to work. Um, Again, I would think a policy like a universal income policy that the Liberals and the NDP are trying to pass would would motivate many people to stay at home. So then that that that's one area that you have to deal with to go, okay, what are the true numbers of people who are staying at home because they're subsidized? And if they came into the workforce uh, because they needed to, and uh, then, you know, what would... What would our need actually be? Then you have the actual political strategy to subsidize immigrant workers over Canadians so that you get to say to the immigrant, look, I've helped you get a job. And that makes a loyal voter. But it is government interventionism, like it's it, it's government interference where they get to please themselves, and if and if they're subsidizing companies, if they're basically saying we need more workers, and then we're going to subsidize immigrants to bring more immigrants here, then more immigrants would it's a self fulfilling prophecy, absolutely, rather than saying, rather than saying. Um, you know, he, let's see where the economy would go if we were minimizing and limiting immigration for cultural purposes, and then also for all of the all of the um, all the benefit per, uh, purposes. Because I want to talk about that really briefly. The um, if you go to the if you go to the this annual report, it's very interesting on how accommodating the the plans for immigration are it, it, it does it seems it seems like a program that is is highly motivated to tell people you come and don't change anything so for example an example of that is that they're proud that you can mark gender x on your passport and on your uh immigration cards where for those who say they don't identify as a male or female Instead of saying, no, uh, if you come to Canada, you recognize gender, they're proud to accommodate for it. And then, of course, all of the programs that they offer are really pushing, as I mentioned earlier, the narrative of victimhood, um, 
critical theory and and really emphasizing on gender inclusion, which of course just goes back to critical theory, just whoever they want to be included. And so I, I think what I'm trying to get at here is the economic, you're right that the economic sell is the sell to Canadians. And the question is, well, do we actually need it? Or if we shifted other economic policies, would that need go away? And then secondly, are we even expecting immigrants in any respect to adhere to the rule of law and the supremacy of God? And the answer would be no. They they expect to come and do and be exactly who they want to be, which will erode a erode the capital, erode. Um, now, I know people use Canadian culture. I, I think Justin Trudeau uses that term as much as anybody else. And it, it virtually means nothing without any qualifiers. But historically, Canadian culture would have been Judeo-Christian, rule of law, supremacy of God stuff. So on this second point, what would, what would like a, a CHP policy be around immigrants needing to adhere to the charter adhering to uh, a basic uh, submission to a christian rule of law you know we're, we're not talking about coming and having to profess faith in that that would that would we, we're not talking about coercing belief but we are talking about someone who's coming and saying, hey, I, I want to go there. It's a desirable, desirable place to be because of the parameters of law that are set out for me. Well, we, we would demand every person who applies for immigrant status, a work permit, a student visa, uh, or who comes across, uh, you know, so-called, I mean, illegals, I think, we should just be turned back at the border. That's, uh, we wouldn't have to. But anyone who's asking for uh, permission to come into Canada on any kind of legal basis must uh, affirm a commitment to respecting Canada's Judeo-Christian heritage. Uh, maybe not in those words, but to respecting our our values, our rule of law. Uh, and <clears throat> I have heard one uh, kind of a, a person on a, an interview somewhere, a, a person professing a different faith who was all upset about what's going on in the Middle East and was angry at Israel and angry at the Jews. And uh, he said, well, when it came time to take the oath, I didn't take it. <clears throat> he said, uh, it's up to you guys to make sure that I take the oath, right? Uh, so in, in a sense, he became a Canadian citizen without even taking an oath of allegiance. Um, I know when we came across, when I was a young man and my family came across, um, that that was, you know, the the process of becoming a Canadian. There was some grilling involved at the border when we, when we our family crossed, even though the preliminary work had been done. And then when I took the citizenship oath, that was a solemn moment, you know, uh, and I was declaring uh, support, basically promising to uh, obey the laws of Canada, promising to be loyal to the Queen, and now now it's the King and uh to fit in to uh, be a, a canadian to become a canadian not to be uh, a person representing a, a foreign uh, uh, concept of, of society unfriendly to canadian values so uh, now of course people can lie 
you know, people can take an oath and, and not mean it. But I think that uh, that's a, a bare minimum. And if they violate that, if they're found to be in violation of that commitment, then uh, the, the agreement to accept them as residents is off off the table. We find that, you know, they said they were going to obey the rule of law. They said they were not going to, uh, you know, <laughs> show hatred and violence towards other people. And if they do that or commit crimes, then uh, then they have to go back to where they came from and, and face the music, even if that's uh, not very pleasant. So talking about the Oath of Allegiance, um, that is something that every Canadian or or every new Canadian citizen is supposed to uh, pledge themselves towards. Rod, do you think it is insufficient in its current form? Uh, uh, certainly, you know, actually, I'll, I'll try to look it up right now. Um, uh, but have you looked at it recently? Has that been changed by the Liberal government? Um, um, yeah, well, so it that it's, it's watered yeah. down? Do, do we... It wouldn't surprise me, but I have to admit, I have not looked at that recently. So. so the oath of citizenship is, I swear that I will be faithful and bear true allegiance to her majesty, King, to his majesty, sorry, King Charles III, King of Canada, his heirs and successors, and I will be faithfully observe the laws of Canada, including the constitution which, rec which rec recognizes and affirms Okay, they have the Aboriginal and treaty rights of First Nations, Inuit and Métis people and fulfill my duties as a Canadian citizen. Uh, that's it. So, yes, uh, I would say it has been changed and not for the better. I don't see any reference to the supremacy of God and the rule of law and the constant... Uh, demand that every person signing anything, um, you know, <laughs> you know, always this declaration of uh, First Nations uh, unceded territory and things like that, which has become part of so many public uh, ceremonies or public, uh, public, uh, what would you say, uh, gatherings. Uh, I think is another thing that is dividing Canadians. I don't want to go too far into that today, but um, the, we, we should be all Canadians. Every, every Canadian, whatever your background, if you uh, claim Canadian citizenship, uh, the primary thing should be a, a commitment to Canada. And I would say since uh, patriation of the Constitution, maybe even the uh, reference to the king, uh, we should reconsider that because our, our primary allegiance should be to the nation of Canada and our own constitution. Um, you know, I'm, I'm had, had a lot better feeling toward the queen than I have about our, our current uh, King, just because of some of his globalist uh, tendencies. The queen, I think did represent the kinds of values that made Canada great. And uh, I'm afraid that, that we may be in an era when uh, globalism may be coming more a part of the the monarchy, uh, the monarchical uh, sort of worldview, so I, I have to say I would rather I would rather see the commitment to Canada in our in our constitution rather than to uh, the monarch. 
uh, and I, I gave you a heads up that I was going to ask you this question and that it would be a hard one, but it is the one that is on my mind. Would the Christian Heritage Party have a clear statement about a Muslim ban? And I, and I, I bring that up for f- like five reasons. So first of all, it goes it goes back to a comment that was made earlier. There are lots of refugee camps all around the world where um, Christians are not able. There, there's lots of UN refugee camps. Uh, the United States uh, under Trump went through this, did a number, did a bunch of research on this, wrote about this, where. UN refugee camps are actually run by local Muslim groups. So the the ability for Christians to immigrate to the West is greatly restricted simply because of the, the UN's laissez-faire or hands-off or specific um, pro-Muslim position. And so for a time, Trump limited the countries that people could immigrate from based upon um, the, the, based upon the, the value statements coming out of that country that got interpreted as a Muslim ban. And uh, the second reason why I bring it up is because Islam from start to finish accepts, um, accepts the lying about then accepts the promoting of, um, and then accepts the executing of uh, jihad. And so you can have right in the teachings of the religion, the false religion, you have teachings about uh, phase one of jihad, phase two of jihad, and phase three of jihad. Um, it, it would be almost impossible to vet somebody um, coming with a, an Islamic background um th- thirdly we are now seeing on the ground that the people who are out doing pro hamas protests and saying pro so, so again even if we just apply the rule of law to canada right now as inciting violence that in and of itself would cause for the deportation of many individuals and and, and maybe that's enough um how does the christian heritage party think about restricting Muslim immigrants? And it's a very tough question. Um, As an individual, I will evangelize and I will care for my Muslim neighbor. But as a government, you have a different standard than uh, you have a different sphere of, of authority. What would be the Christian Heritage Party's view on Muslim immigration? Well, thank you for the tough question. <laughs> That's yeah, a very difficult one to answer. Uh, in in a in a sense, I think because we are a free and democratic country, and because we believe in freedom of religion. I mean, there are some people who say uh, Islam is not a religion; it's a political, uh, you know, kind of structure. But l- let's give the the benefit of the doubt and say that uh, Islam is a religion. Uh, I think it would be impossible and unwise to to make a, a rule saying no Muslim can immigrate to Canada. I think that it would be, of course, uh, the world, uh, the, the secular institutions would hate you for it. But, uh, but I think we just have to be honest that we believe in freedom of religion. 
And so uh, we can't reject someone from coming to the country based on on their worldview, unless that worldview includes domination. So I would say, you know, those who have a history of expressing radical uh, radical I- Islam, uh, who want to promote Sharia, I think you could ask, um, you know, now, of course, people can lie on their applications and in their interviews. So I recognize that. But the question should be asked, do you support uh, Sharia law? Do you, uh, do you support a radical Islamist view? Um, there are some people who say there's no such thing as a moderate Muslim. I, I don't take that view. I think there are those who have been raised in the culture who, uh, you know, maybe have not looked into all the depths of, of uh, radical Islamist uh, theory and, and practice. Um, so I think it would be difficult. We at one time had a, a platform a plank that just said that we would put a moratorium on immigration from countries dominated by Sharia law. Um, but I've backtracked on that now because I think, you know, in those countries, there are Christians uh, as well as moderate Muslims who do not endorse uh, violence, do not in- endorse the, uh, uh, what would you say, the explosive and aggressive approach to uh you know, conquest. We know that Islam as a religion, uh, much of its growth has been through violent conquest. That's that's the reality around the world. Uh, and we don't want violent conquest here. We don't want uh, silent and uh, quiet conquest either of our Western values. But I, I think it would be impossible, imprudent, and perhaps uh, morally deficient to say no Muslim could uh, enter Canada, but they would have to, every person coming into the country, and it would be a much, you know, uh, our immigration numbers have to be much smaller. I'm suggesting something like instead of 1.5 million people coming into the country in a year, it should be more like, uh, you know, 100,000 immigrants and and maybe some allowance for legitimate refugees. But, I I recognize what you said about these uh, refugee camps where a Christian or a Jew either can't get in or cannot survive in that setting and is less likely to be put on a list for uh, a refugee status to Canada. So that's that's a real problem. I don't have a an easy answer for that. I just think uh, we have to uh, have an equal treatment for those who apply. I think this government has had an unequal treatment and has given preference to those uh, with a non-Christian worldview and and even to uh, radical Islam. Uh, and, and radical Islam, uh, the promotion of Sharia, the uh, hate speech. <laughs> it's funny, in this country, we, we have people going to court and going to the Supreme Court for being tried under hate speech law who have simply said that uh, marriage is between a man and a woman and uh, you can't change your gender. But then you have people saying uh, from the river to the sea, which means the uh, extermination of Jewish people. And uh, they're allowed to say that. Uh, I don't see them being hauled before human rights tribunals uh, in this country. So anyway, the the short answer to your question is I I don't think you can put a, a 
a ban on, I think it would be difficult, you know, not only politically, but I, I think it would be difficult to uh, apply that in a way that is uh, righteous uh, for a country that claims to allow freedom of religion. Well, we can have a talk another day whether uh, whether freedom of religion has limits, but I, I appreciate the answer. And I, I think where we absolutely agree, and I'm, I've been trying to think about this, is again, good law deals with a lot of this, doesn't it? And um, just last week, I was talking a little bit about this with a, with a pastor from Cincinnati uh, uh, about the U.S. context, but... But in Canada, the Canadian context, it would be something very easy to put in the vetting process and, and questioning process that um, the law of the land is like, like what I'm saying is, is, you know, clearly inciting violence is a, is, is a Canadian law that's already on the books and it's just not being acted upon. Exactly. And, and, and rules for deportation are there and likely just not being acted upon. But this is the difficulty because now we're talking about conserving. And this is always the tension between, between freedom and authoritarianism, between uh, conservatism and libertarianism, because we're trying to conserve our, our culture. And to conserve your culture, you cannot ignore worldview. Uh, you, you, you just cannot ignore that if you... If 10% of your immigrants are coming from China and none of their worldviews are vetted, so they're coming in as communists, then 10, you, you are moving your country in the direction of communism. And I know that this is unpopular to talk about, and it would require such a victory politically to just have the moral people around the table to have the conversation. But if we Christians won't have the conversation on podcasts like this or in our private rooms just to, so that we get to a level of understanding that we've thought through the issue, then of course the day will just be left to the, to the individuals who say immigration is just people coming to the country and being whomever they want to be rather than holding to any standards. So I think this is a good conversation. I do you, do you get the sense that the rule of law is in jeopardy in Canada because the political will has shifted so much so that are we looking at Sharia law being a secondary law in Canada in the next 20 years? Are, are we looking at laws changing so significantly that no longer um, are there restrictions on calling out for the genocide of Jews and Christians because the law has switched and, and how does the so so now I guess this is an answer to a for, for a political party. You as a Christian Heritage Party are obviously concerned about that. So you can you can answer: Are we in jeopardy? That would be good for what's your sense of the jeopardy. But then second of all, what's the Christian Heritage Party attempting to do in order in a, in a democratic society to to get out there and get the electorate to get the citizens motivated to vote to retain. Canadian law. So it's two questions there back to back. Yeah, I'll, I'll try to take the, the second one first. The, the Christian Heritage Party, of course, we run for office because we want to see Christian principles 
enacted in Canadian law. Uh, and, you know, there's all kinds of things that, that are being violated. You know, like you said, we are losing the rule of law because, you know, start off, we have a law against people just crossing uh, into Canada. We have borders. If we don't protect our borders, uh, we don't have a country really. Uh, we're, and Mr. Trudeau is leaning towards this world globalism and, you know, the Klaus Schwab World Economic Forum uh, view that we're all world citizens and <clears throat> we're going to come under the domination of, uh, of you know, the United Nations and the WHO and WEF, and et cetera, et cetera. So right away, when we allow people to cross our border, to break our laws, to come into the country, and we don't resist that, we don't say, you know, here's your bag, you're going back the other way, do not come in again. Um, you know, we're already allowing the rule of law to be uh, distorted and broken. Uh, we we don't treat, the rule of law means every Canadian should be treated exactly equally. We don't do that uh, in any stretch in this country. We have, uh, you know, there's quotas for hiring, uh, the LGBT thing, that's a political movement. That's not a... Uh, thing that just happens to people. There's a political movement there that is impacting how our universities uh, indoctrinate students uh, and on all kinds of levels, <laughs> you know, whether it's climate, whether it is uh, race-based, whether it's, uh, you know, a religious worldview. Um, but, but that's what's happening is our country is losing the rule of law. Uh, students in universities, and and uh, here's here's maybe a going back, maybe an answer to some of our shortage of workers. Uh, maybe there's a whole lot of students in this country that shouldn't be in university. Maybe they should be uh, doing useful and productive jobs rather than getting indoctrinated in feminism and uh, socialism and radical Islam. But anyway, that's a, a question for another day. <clears throat> but uh, well, the, it's actually a, a really I want. Yeah. I wanted to I want to I want to interrupt you on that because actually I was thinking about that same thing. Uh, immigrating students to Canada is either training them for a specific job in Canada or to go back, but but it's also there's an extreme motivation from the universities themselves to keep filling their coffers because they're because they don't have enough students coming themselves. So again, if there's any government subsidy involved in that, it's just propping up a failing institution with people who don't really need it. Exactly. Like, it, it, I, they, 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 yeah. could, they, they could get their education elsewhere from, from people who can train them. If Once the government gives a subsidy, then you are talking about political motivation and not economic motivation. Exactly. And, you know, everyone wants their young people, their, their children to have a good education, but that doesn't necessarily mean, and I think people need to recognize this, that doesn't necessarily mean going to college university. It doesn't necessarily mean attending a, a public uh, uh, high school, whatever. It means learning about the world, learning how to cope with the world, uh, having a good understanding of how the world works. And that can happen in other settings, can happen in work settings. It can happen in, uh, certainly in the home is where it has to start. But yeah, the long long and the short uh, is that we need to get back to the rule of law. And, you know, some of the other issues that uh, we're dealing with in this country where, where people are uh, maybe treated differently, a criminal may be treated differently based on race rather than 
based on, on the, the facts. The rule of law means every Canadian should be treated exactly the same as every other Canadian in the same circumstance. And so there's, uh, you know, privilege being extended to certain ethnic groups that uh, I, I believe is, is destroying our respect for one another and our uh, respect for the the country we live in and the rule of law here. So um, I don't know how to, how to say it any other way, but but when we allow people to break the law and and the other way around, when we allow governments to break the law, now we have the Coots Four there who have been in jail in Alberta for uh, it's well over 650 days. I don't know the exact number today, but without trial and without bail, uh, we don't know if they're guilty or innocent. That that hasn't they've had no chance to prove that. But there are people who have committed murder who are walking around the streets today. And so we don't have the rule of law. We don't have an equal application of justice. We have Tamara Lich being dragged through the court system over and over and over again, uh, unable to stay at home and do her regular work that she enjoys and is good at and gets paid for. She's forced to spend money on, on lawyers in Ottawa. Meanwhile, you can have these uh, obviously hate-filled uh, gatherings where people are calling for the death of the Jews and uh, they're not in court. They're not being dragged through the system. So uh, I think if we just enforce the laws we have uh, and take away anything that gives preferential treatment to one group or another, um, we would we would find our way back to the Judeo-Christian principles that that are the foundation of our country. I'm really glad you brought up the the Coots border story, the Coots four. I I find it hard to keep up with with all of the different um, court cases, and I know that that's one that easily slips away from our mind. And yeah, your your point is very well taken. We don't know whether they're innocent or guilty. What we know is that the they're political prisoners. They're 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 not being tried. Like they're not being treated according to the rule of law. Uh, Rod, you, you live out that way. Is there, are, are you hearing any specific reasons, n not reasons why, but are we, I don't even know if I've heard of a single excuse uh, in a, you, you hear of, you hear of people who were the pro convoy reminding everybody that those guys still exist. I don't know if I've, well, I know that I haven't read it, so maybe it's there, so I have to be careful. But I haven't seen virtually anything in the media about why. Why are they still sitting there? Um, are, are they declaring some type of terrorist thing? Or like, what, what is it that... Well, even, even a terrorist, you know, uh, the worst terrorist in the world deserves a fair trial. Uh, and uh, whatever the truth is of the matter... Uh, these people haven't had a chance to uh, express themselves in court. Uh, they're limited in their, I mean, they've been separated from their families, from their children for uh, uh, going on two years here. I think they're coming up to the the third Christmas away from home. Um, everyone deserves a fair trial and everyone deserves to be treated as innocent until proven guilty. So uh, that that's 
I mean, I live in the, on the left coast here of British Columbia. I'm not in Alberta, but I, I would like to see Danielle Smith uh, step up and defend the freedom uh, and the rights of these Alberta citizens of hers who are being mistreated in in the uh, judicial system. Um, I think as as Premier of Alberta, she has uh, both the, the right and the duty to uh, put an end to this thing. Say either uh, you either charge them and bring them before uh, a judge and bring forth what evidence you have or let them go. Because uh, if you've got no case, you can't build a case in two years against them. Maybe you don't have a case, right? Um, but in British Columbia, of course, we have other, we, you know, this uh, left coast here under the NDP communist socialist uh, dictatorship here, we have uh, workers, doctors and nurses who've been fired, of course, during the COVID and not rehired. <clears throat> and they were given no opportunity. And here's again, where we're not treating people according to the rule of law. They were fired <clears throat> without just cause. And they were not able to collect uh, employment benefits that someone who uh, works, you know, 10 weeks in the fishing industry can go sit on the couch uh, and collect employment benefits. These doctors and nurses who have given years of their lives serving the people of British Columbia and are now denied justice. They're not being rehired in spite of all the evidence. I mean, I'm getting into other, <laughs> other topics here, but uh, just for uh, standing up for their right for medical privacy. Uh, to not have to declare, you know, there. Anyway, that's another example of the abuse of uh, the rule of law in Canada, the dis disproportionate uh, punishment of those that it's, it's political uh, treatment and it uh, needs to end or we won't have a democracy here in this country. We may not have one now, but we certainly, if it continues to go in this direction, we will lose the true North strong and free. And we, uh, we don't want to do that. We want uh, to have men and women go to the legislatures and the uh, Parliament of Canada and stand up for the rights and freedoms of all Canadians and get back to a country where we recognize the supremacy of God and the rule of law. Just on that last point, um, folks, uh, this is why we're re representing Rebecca Abdu, who literally was denied EI. It's the same type of case that Rod was just talking about. Um, help us get over the end. And 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 we, we worked on her file. Help us pay for it. Uh, we really need some year-end donations to cover these costs. So, Rod, thank you so much for coming on. I know that uh, we look forward uh, to having more conversations in the future and you talk with Matt and Andrew uh, so thanks for coming on and uh, everybody uh, you can see this is this is some stuff we got to dig into and think about Rod and I did not come up with we probably just touched the surface on creating the conversation and then there's the hard work of coming up with the answers maybe you can be a part of that answer and uh, if you're interested in being a part of that answer contact the Christian Heritage Party of Canada and uh, maybe run as a candidate in this upcoming election so Exactly. Thanks for that uh, mention of that, uh, Michael. And chp.ca, www.chp.ca, that's where you can find us. And if you have thoughts about immigration or you think I misspoke or you have something that should have been said that wasn't said and you want to uh, contribute to our thinking on this difficult topic of immigration, refugees, and or any of the other topics touched on today, 
uh, you know, you can go to chp.ca and uh, write, write to me, leader at chp.ca, and I'd be happy to hear from you. Yeah, that's a great idea. We need to think more about these things deeply. And we need to get down to policy level. We need to get down. You need to be able to go to a website. You need to be able to see just like on the on the Canadian website there. This is what they're doing, why they're doing it. And we need to get to that level to offer people an alternative. Anybody, thank you very much for listening. Uh, have a great day. Godspeed. <laughs>